0: Thanks for tuning in to The Roundtable Podcast, episode 69.
1: Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Jennifer Melzer.
0: And I'm Dave Robison.
1: And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast.
0: On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host.
1: And then we strap on our miners' helmets, click on the little lantern, whip out our tool belts, and start sifting through that raw material for literary gold.
0: Literary gold, indeed. Awesome. I'm going to switch my miners' helmet. I love those things. By the way, those are so <laughs> badass. I once I once went into a a, a living cave. And they had those magnesium uh, uh, helmet lamps. Have you ever seen those? It's yeah. a It's a little magnesium flare and there's and, and you just fire it up. It's like poof and <laughs> And it's just awesome. It's it's like, you know, this is ancient times going deep into the darkness. So Jennifer Melzer, author, editor, uh, uh, and good friend, thank you so much for coming back and and co-hosting with me. I'm so looking forward to this. That's a pleasure to be here. Well, and before we bring back our guest host, just real quick, I know you've got all kinds of awesomeness going on. Would you regale our our listeners just real quick with what you've got out there in the world right now?
1: I've actually got a book coming out on January 5th, an urban fantasy title called Siren.
0: Very cool. Uh,
1: I'm really excited about it. It's up for pre-order now on Amazon.com.
0: With a gorgeous cover, I might add.
1: Yes, it is gorgeous.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Plus, plus, oh my goodness, uh, uh, what, the Goblin Market?
1: Yeah, the Goblin Market, um, the Serpent
0: of Time series. Beautiful, beautiful stories. Dear friends, if you haven't sampled Jennifer Melzer's prose, uh, trust me, don't read her work Hungry. Because there's something about the way she writes, and it's just it makes your mouth water, and it's it's just beautiful. So definitely check that out. Awesome, very cool. Um, well, let's let's uh, let's let's get our guest host back on here and proceed forward with the 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 workshop episode awesomeness, dear friends. Coming back from a fabulous 20 minutes with uh, uh, the consumer of blueberries and managing editor at Paizo Publishing, James Sutter. James, thank you so much for not only coming back, but also consenting to, to delve into a brainstorm, a brain maelstrom with us. I am so looking forward to this, sir.
2: Me too. I I have no idea what to expect, but then you never do.
0: That's right. That's right. It's that impromptu spontaneous weirdness where the awesomeness is born. Fabulous. Now, now James Holy crap, there's so much. The, 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 the panorama of James Sutter stretches out before us like a National Geographic center spread. Uh, it's, it, and there's valleys and there's this peak over here and there's this jungle that we're definitely not going anywhere near. Um, but, but could you just take a few minutes and just let let our listeners know what is coming up in the world of James Sutter?
2: Well, um, my second novel, *The Redemption Engine*, just came out. That's uh, a standalone sequel to *Death's Heretic*, which was my first novel. Um, Wait, and hold both on. of
0: them—rewind, standalone sequel—isn't that an oxymoron? Yeah.
2: Well, so I think you can read them in any order. Um, okay. It's the same character, the same main character, Salim who's uh, an atheist in a world where gods are objectively real. Um and it's in the set in the Pathfinder setting, but you don't need to know anything about gaming to enjoy it. Um and so uh it's kind of a Blade Runner meets Dante's Inferno kind of book. <laughs> um so I'm hoping people will like it. If you like China Miéville or Max Gladstone, it's probably in that vein. Um I'm also writing comics. Uh, I'm doing a couple of Pathfinder comics coming up that I'm very excited about in the Pathfinder Origins series. Um, I've got a couple of anthologies that I'm in that are coming up. Uh, For some reason, uh, this year was really the year of gay fantasy for me. So I wrote a bunch of uh, fantasy. I've got one in Madness on the Orient Express, which is a gay Lovecraft period romance. Um, Dude, that's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's my story. The overall thing is uh, all about mythos stuff related to the Orient Express. Um, I've also got a uh, a story in the Bane anthology, Shattered Shields, which is called Bonded Men, which is all about, it's sort of my take on the Sacred Band of Thebes, which was a real world military unit where it was an elite fighting force where all of the soldiers were uh, men who were essentially married to each other. It was everybody who was out there fighting beside their husband. Yeah. Um, and it made them uh, like this unstoppable fighting force because how couldn't you fight hard with, you know, your your significant other by your side? You're not going to retreat when that's at stake. So, um, yeah, just playing with that. And then I've also recently released uh, the EP for my sort of self-aware hair metal band, we call ourselves, <laughs> uh, It's the Lizard God. Our first album is called A Different Kind of Terror, and that's available for free. Um, all of this stuff, P.S., is on my website at jameslsutter.com, or you can find me on Twitter at, at James L. Sutter. Uh, I love to talk to folks.
0: That's fabulous. That's outstanding. Now, just just a quick side note here. Have you ever read uh, Janet Morris' uh, Sacred Band of Stepsons?
2: No, but uh, what's it about
0: well it's 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 it, it focuses on one of the characters from the thieves world uh, uh anthologies um uh, Tempus, uh, but it deals with the sacred band of Thebes nice uh, and apparently in in the grave where uh, they ultimately met their end uh, at the hands I believe of Darius um, uh, there were 42 skeletons missing from the band of 300 and really? and Janet Morris picks up and, and explains what became of those 42 and it's epic and it's sweeping and it's sweet. I, 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 you would get a huge kick out of it.
2: Yeah, Uh, no, that sounds like something I should read. Yes. Um, (laughs) I'm glad I didn't read it before I wrote the, uh, Wrote the story, or I, I might think, have been intimidated. Yeah, it would have it would That's have had impact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Very cool. Well, look, I will make sure Jennifer, your stuff and James, your stuff, both of your stuffs gets into the liner notes with all sorts of wonderful hyperlinkies for clickety clicks for people to to go out and find all of this greatness. But well, thank but, you so much. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. They're, everybody needs to find out about this stuff. That's what we're about here. But right now, what I'd like to do is I would like to take a pause for for uh, a little promotion. Emotional break for another fabulous podcast, or or a fabulous ebook, or some some awesomeness that's happening out there in the potosphere. And when we come back, I would love to workshop a story with both of you. What do you say?
1: Let's Yay.
0: Do it. Yes, absolutely. I'm down with that, friends. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back.
3: Hey, you! Stop hiding behind that sofa. Come out from back there. Your sofa wants to talk to you. ...wants to play footsie with your mind. Listen to it. Relax. Let it in. Starship Sofa. The first podcast ever to win a Hugo Award... ...with weekly stories from the world's best authors... ...Michael Moorcock, Peter Watts, Joe Haldeman, Peter F. Hamilton... ...and many, many, many more with news and reviews and interviews. Bradbury, Pole, Wolf, and Mievel, the sofas chewed the fat with them all. Facts and fictions, articles and particles. Oh, why aren't you listening? Starshipsofa.com Your best science fictional fix this side of the coffee table. Welcome back, dear
0: friends, to to the treasure hoard, the, the, the gold mine that is the round table. This, this is where the magic happens. The sausage gets made, uh, but it's not gross. It's not gross at all. It's fabulous. Uh, uh, and, and the sauce, no, I'm just not going to work that metaphor anymore. Let's just leave that be. The, the, the gold doesn't get mined without a bold, creative and courageous, a courageous guest writer stepping forward. And dear friends, uh, by Today, our guest writer for this episode works as an e-learning designer for a software company uh, but for the rest of the time he dons his reader's cloak he reads, he writes, he occasionally reads for podcasts like Starship Sofa and some early episodes of a, of a podcast near and dear to my heart protecting Project Pulp with none other than the fabulous who's this Dave Robinson guy uh, hosting the early episodes uh, now he started writing 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 way back in the sixth grade, writing humorous one-page monster stories in class when apparently he should have been studying. Uh, (laughs) A big fan of Danny Kaye's A Secret Life of Walter Mitty, he realized he could easily write a book made up of lots of little stories. Several stories and years and reality checks later, our guest writer has creeped out a girl in high school with some... Romantic Stories, uh, built character sketches for an in-store Shadowrun demo and several D&D games and more. He has a couple of trunked novels and is still trying to make one of these things sellable to this day. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Mr. Scott Couchman. Scott, Dude. It is never easy to bring your baby up for scrutiny and I so respect and admire and am grateful for your courage sir thank you man oh thanks Dave this is this looks, sounds like a lot of fun oh this is gonna be awesome you creeped out a girl in high school with romantic stories how is that oh, possible yeah. <laughs> well she wasn't really a reader and I was
4: I think at the time I was kind of like into elf quest so you know I got a little more risque than she was interested in and yeah that um, it, it didn't turn out well so. dude
0: dude I, I, I I can so get behind. I did the same thing with a stripper in St. Louis, and it didn't work out at all. So, no, true story. Um, <laughs> and we'll leave that there. Somebody, someday that's going to come back to haunt me And when somebody does my own 20 minutes with intro. Uh, but for now, Scott, you brought a story, yes? yes sir thank god <laughs> all right so here's the deal we give you five to eight minutes you give us the the title the format the the genre uh, uh, uh introduces give us a hook line the theme introduces to the world introduces to the characters then give us just some basic tentpole structures of a story arc and we'll take it from there dude i am totally getting out of the way the mic is all yours All right, thank you. Um,
4: Okay, so the working title of this novel is called Galactically Spellbound. It is the first novel in what looks like a trilogy with uh, definite potential to spin out into a larger collection of stories. It's a blend of fantasy and science fiction, with this story being a little heavier on the fantasy side. The hook line that really seems to get people to perk up their ears is dwarves in space. (laughs) And who wouldn't? (laughs) (laughs) The full hook, once you've got them from there, is that when humans ventured out of the soul system, they found both magic and mythical races thriving throughout the galaxy. Uh, A psychic human tactician joins forces with a dwarven diplomat and an elven princess to uncover the threat returning to their slice of the galaxy while evading factions trying to arrest them. The main theme of this story is really about responsibility. Mistakes were made before the story is even started, and the hero needs to own and especially atone for those mistakes. The heroine needs to grow into the responsibility that she desires, but she doesn't understand. The setting where I th- is kind of where I think this gets cool. Earth and the soul system exist in a magic-poor region of space. Therefore, only regular laws of science have held, and humanity has had to escape their system using pure science. When they left Sol, they found that the universe was a much, much stranger place than they could ever dream, and magic exists and thrives. They expanded rapidly and eventually ran into the dwarven and elven empires in space. The three major races form the Turnian Confederation, which has, at the start of the series, about as much political pull as the League of Nations, so not very much. Each of the races approaches technology and magic in their own ways, so each is unique but compatible with the others. There are three main POV characters. Our uh, first one is Marty, or Martin, who's the human psychic and a tactical genius. He starts the story in denial of having done Anything wrong, and when presented facts, he must come to accept the mistakes he's made both in actual combat and in his theoretical designs, which may have caused the fractured state of the Confederation. He is truly afraid, though, that he is wrong and that he is nothing more than the exile that the Confederation has branded him with. He desperately wants a shot at redemption but is not sure he deserves it. By the end of the story, Marty accepts what he has done and is able to move past it all and become the man he wants to be. All before the story begins, Marty's downward spiral started with a scandal that he and Princess Kylie became lovers. And then his entire life was open to the universe, his strategies to defeat the elven space fleets was found. The final straw in his downfall was when What caused his exile was when his flawed command of an attack on an orcish fleet resulted in many, many casualties. Which brings us to Princess Kylie, the crown princess of the Elven Empire. She ran away from home to explore the galaxy and generally have fun, which resulted in the scandal with Martin five years ago. She is a powerful spell slinger, even though she's only a wildling, which in this case is an elf who is physically an adult, but per elven custom has yet to complete the decades of teaching to be regarded as an adult in society spending time with the humans she is genuinely afraid of stagnating both personally and as a race she sees everything in elven society in stasis she must evolve she starts the story under house arrest constantly challenging and rebelling against the closed off racist stagnant nature of the elves she ends the story taking control of her own destiny and helping to guide the elven race to their new role in the galaxy The glue that holds these two together is the generally fun-loving dwarf named Garen. Garen truly loves the unity that the Turnian Confederation could bring to the galaxy and does not want to see it fracture. He loves his friends but is afraid they will not grow up enough to heal the galactic society that he helped found. One of the antagonists is Roderick, who who is Kylie's betrothed. He's an elven hunter and a military leader, shrewd and pretentious. He believes high elves are the perfect evolution of intelligent beings and all other races are far beneath him. The other main bad guy is a former student of Martin's and the one who has leaked battle plans to the enemy and is consulting with them. He was humiliated by Martin for thinking too rigidly and causing and caused Martin's downfall, but now wants Martin to suffer even more. Okay, on to the story. Uh, Garen and a Dwarven strike team attack orc pirates and find battle plans that look like the ones that caused his friend Marty's exile and arrest. He finds and confronts Marty about selling out to the orcs. Marty denies it, showing Garen that the writing is unknown and and that the plans are close to his but flawed. He begs Garen to help him prove he's not at fault. Garen reluctantly agrees. Garen and Marty escape Marnie's planet of exile, and the two set out to decipher the elven-looking language on the battle plans. They do this by going to the high elven homeworld to plead for access to elven linguists. As soon as they leave the planet, Martin starts getting headaches. Martin disguises himself because he want, he's actually wanted for treason if he sets foot in Elven space, unbeknownst to Garen. Of course, while Garen is showing the script to the Elven court, Martin is found out and imprisoned. Garen is free to go, but is refused any further pleasantries. Garen is pissed. Meanwhile... Kaylee has been fighting with her tutors and her mother, the Empress, and Mom decides that since Kaylee wants to be considered an adult, she can be married like one. So Kaylee has been looking for a way to escape. When she sees Martin and Garen, she sees her chance. She helps Martin escape and joins the team on the ship as Garen is about to leave. Garen asks why he should trust either of them, and Kaylee tells him she saw the words wood elves in the script Garen showed. Garen grudgingly accepts them on board, and they set a course for the Wood Elf kingdoms. Kylie's disappearance is quickly noticed, and her betrothed, Roderick, is sent to retrieve her at any cost. Marty and team go to the planet of uh, Wood Elves that Kylie deciphered. They exit hyperspace and find the debris of hundreds of Wood Elf ships. Martin's headaches spike. They investigate the smoldering planet, springing the trap set by alien yet vaguely elven-looking battleships. They are damaged and about to die when Roderick flashes into the system with his small fleet and engage the enemy. Martin's ship escapes in the chaos. Kylie puts it all together and determines that this enemy is the Dark Elves, and this is cue for a minor info dump about Dark Elves being banished to the inner galaxy. They manage to get a wood elf planet whose military immediately puts them under arrest. The Wood Elf King thinks that they are working with the Dark Elves that have overrun their sector of space. Martin denies it and freely gives the captured battle plans to the king. When the king finds out that he has Martin and Kylie, he realizes that by turning over the wayward princess and her lover to the High Elves may bring needed assistance from the High Elves. The nearest High Elven ship, though, is Roderick, who, while bloodied, still sweeps in to rescue his bride. What he doesn't realize is that the Dark Elves have followed him, and they lay siege to the planet before anyone can escape. The Wood Elves are losing badly to the Dark Elves, and Martin and company agree to help, bringing the space battle to a draw. In deciphering the elven, the Dark Elven text, Kylie uncovers an ancient elven custom of single combat to decide a battle. Garin issues the challenge to the Dark Elves. The Dark Elf leader is nearly invulnerable because of the magic he commands. Martin detects a pattern in the magic and shows Garen where to strike true. The Dark Elf is forced to yield and withdraw. The Dark Elves leave the Wood Elves a present in the form of Martin's former student who has been tracking Martin psychically since he left his home planet, causing the headaches. Martin and company examine Garen's fight on replay. The magic is fluid, and that same fluidity can be applied to the entire dark elf invasion. Martin and the remaining wood elves set up in a magic poor eddy in the dark elven's fleets onslaught, and this is where I'm hoping for roundtable magic to happen here, and how to lure the enemy and allied forces together, and then a big fight scene, and the Turnian confederation forces destroy the dark elves and. Uh, everybody's happy at that point in the aftermath Martin is arrested and Kylie is detained by the high elves. She issues that same single combat challenge to be treated as an adult as is her right. She chooses a proxy to fight for her and chooses Martin. Martin uses human ingenuity to feet to defeat Roderick, which clears his name with the elves and allows Kylie to act as an adult.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Now, before we roll forward with this, Scott, uh, give us an idea. What do you, What are you hoping to get out of this uh, the next 45 minutes or so of conversation? Well, um, anything first off, but of course, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think like the three main things
4: I'm looking for is is ways to twist the story. It seems a little too linear to me. Um, and then also looking for more and better ways to insert the antagonist the story feels too exploratory and not enough confrontational and then of course that last bit is uh, how to lure everyone into that final battle would be nice too okay
0: all right i think we can i think we can definitely uh, swim in those waters and a few others as well uh so but before we do uh we need to give you our patented roundtable disclaimer jennifer would you be so kind ma'am
1: absolutely all right scott Before we start this, uh, you need to know that you're about to hear a veritable cornucopia of ideas and inspirations. It's important that you understand that everything said from this point forward by Dave or James or myself might be absolute bullshit. This is your story. You decide what to keep and what to toss aside, all right?
0: all right we're off the hook (laughs) sweet (laughs) all right well it is our custom here at the round table to take a quick one time around the table just to get first impressions and uh, ask some questions of clarification we will defer to our guest host uh master sutter uh what are your first impressions of, of scott's story and do you have any questions of clarification start us off sir
2: well i'd like to start out with some questions actually and this first one um is is a straight up question um are you going for a more humorous take or are you going for, uh, are you playing it, playing it straight?
4: Mostly playing it straight. Although for me, I'm going to end up having snarky characters no matter what I do.
2: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I guess I just meant, um, so when you've got elves and dwarves, uh, and orcs. it sounds like and dark elves, all in space. Um, I'm curious, like that's, uh, that sort of pastiche of like those existing tropes. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if if you were playing it for humor, then you would want to stick straight to the tropes, uh, to order in order to like make it, uh, to, to get the humor across. Um, mm-hmm. but if you're playing it straight, um, why, uh, why elves and dwarves, um, and not you know normal aliens, uh, you know, so not something new, why are they? <laughs> the way they are, how are they different? Um, uh, Just because those are sort of stock character tropes, um, or not stock racial tropes, um, are you planning any new takes, or are you specifically uh, trying to use the tropes uh, in a given way?
4: For the most part, I'm trying to use the tropes, um, maybe a little more um, mythological, on it, um, the the original idea of this this stemmed from the idea of what if um, like the collective unconsciousness of humanity actually projected into the universe actually existed, and we're just dreaming of other places. And so the idea of like elves, and at the time, the original thing, you know, playing D anD D uh, and reading Tolkien and stuff like that. Sure. That's where it kind of originated on there. So, so that's that's why I wanted to to keep it, at least at the start of it, um, definitely more in those in those tropes.
0: Let me let me ask a quick variation. I don't mean to step on your time here, James, but no, no, uh, totally, uh, Scott. Are you married to the idea of elves and dwarves and dark elves? Would you consider uh, the possibility of of looking at it from a different perspective? Or, no, I mean that. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, and and that's you know th- that's part of these questions is, is you know if there's if there's some core concept that the elves embody uh, that can only be represented by the elves, awesome, fabulous. We will totally roll with that. Uh, uh, but if it's just like you know it, I, I'm I know these guys and and because I know them I can project them into this environment uh, uh, and I'm and I'm more comfortable in that zone. Maybe we can look at pushing you out of your comfort zone a little yeah. bit.
2: Yeah, I I think my my main thing to uh, that I would caution you about being wary in playing with these uh sort of stock tropes is that they they are stock. Um you know, if if your elves look like Tolkien elves and your dwarves look like dwarven elves or Tolkien dwarves, um Everybody knows those, and so they don't have as much hook to them. Um, They don't have as much to make them yours. Plus, they bring Um, all
0: the baggage that people have and feel about elves and dwarves into your story.
1: Can can I interrupt with that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just want to say, um, like with with what you're saying, I understand what you're saying, but then you have to take a look at Star Trek. Because if you look at Star Trek, aren't the Vulcans sort of like elves? Sure. You know, I I mean, there's a lot of possibility that that could be twisted into something else if he just changed what they were called. I mean he could keep what he wants and just, you know, change what they're called and give them their own
0: yeah. yeah. Sure.
1: Or
2: you could keep them with the Tolkien tropes. Um, you know, you can like Warhammer, Warhammer 40K, like there are all sorts of very uh very well done to you know Tolkien and space things like, like Warhammer 40K, you know, the Eldar is the elves and the orcs and all those things. Um I just wanna put it out there that this these will inevitably be compared to those. And so you're gonna to want to figure out what to uh either what makes them different and uniquely yours, or if they are, like you said, if they are in fact created by human unconsciousness or whatever, and they're deliberately the same tropes because we made them that way or something, um, mm. or because all of that mythology was just reporting on, you know, if all the ancient aliens were actually elves, then that's why we have these uh, you know, these cultural memories, like that sort of thing all works too. Um, you're just going to have to ma- you're going to have to explain that. Cause if it's just elves and dwarves in space, um, people are either going to want it an explanation or they're, I think going to want it to be um, a little bit more novel.
0: Okay, cool.
2: Um, and, and actually I have, I have one other question, which I think is actually probably far more important. That was just to see what your parameters were. Um, why are the dark elves evil
0: (laughs) are the dark elves evil
2: yeah that's that's really the heart of my question because if the answer is no uh i think it's probably a much more interesting story Mm. but i want to i want to hear the the original version first
4: sure yeah the um um they're not necessarily evil they they were actually banished by the high elves uh as explorers to inner space where magic, um, would, uh, so they were like a different faction of the elves. And, um, in the inner galaxy, there's much higher concentration of magic, which has warped them into the dark elves. And now they're coming back with all of this extra power to reclaim what they feel is rightfully theirs. Okay, we can work with that,
2: um yeah, why are they called dark elves?
4: Um, for the trope really <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, just, I,
2: wanted to, I just wanted to show throw this out because um you know a uh you know having the dark be the bad is always a dangerous trope that if you can steer somebody away from it, uh all the better because there's no we you don't want the first thing people notice about your story to be like. Oh, so you Cliche. made the bad guys dark, you know dark, huh? <laughs> oh, is that uh, <laughs> that a little racial thing there? Mm-hmm. You know, you you don't want to get into that. Um, and also, uh, I just again, I don't know how familiar you are with Warhammer, but like with the Eldar and the Dark Eldar and stuff. Um, there is uh, people people are gonna say this has been done, and I will be the first person to tell you that just because something's been done doesn't mean you can't do it again and do it well. Like. Amen. Every, everything's been done before, every chord progression's been played, um, but if you're going to go out there and do something that is that similar to something that, uh, that's been done before um, that's fairly popular, uh, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for a harder battle to make people uh, really excited about it and to not get um, compared to the other one all the time. Which doesn't mean don't do it. I don't. I don't want to be <laughs> raining on your parade. I just want to like give you some warnings. Yeah, uh,
0: heads up. It's a f- fair warning. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Any other Any other questions or observations for the first round, James?
2: Um. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Sure. I don't <laughs> want to steal everybody else's thunder. Um. Oh, there's lots of thunder would, all around this table. It, and and you know I w- I will say you know my job, literally my profession, is uh, poking holes. It, and you know, bringing up warning flags and things for people before their books come out. So don't you know? There's gonna be a lot of uh, of tough love, but it is in fact love. Um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, I just wanted to throw out um, Kylie, uh, the that character. I want. I would advise you to do everything you can to make sure you're giving her agency in this story as your as your heroine, um, because. Uh, it seems like right now all I'm really getting from her character like actually she has a good the um the character background of you know wants to be accepted as an adult but can't be in elven society because even though she's an adult by human standards she's not by elven standards. I think playing with the age th- ageism thing of elven society is awesome. I'm all about that. That said, um what I was hearing is a lot of like her running from her betrothed, you know, running from man A to man B so that he can protect her from man A. And then she like selects him as her proxy. Um, and it just seems hmm. like she's uh she doesn't have as much personal agency. Um, she tends to be relying on others and specifically on the the yeah. men. Um and I'm I'm just gonna say I realize that like that's a in many ways, a classic trope. I think it's a trope who that its time has come and gone. Um, and I think that you're gonna do a lot better by many of your readers if you can make her a heroine in her own right who does heroic things on her own. Um, I mean, hell, when you first started talking, my thought was like, Well, why don't you just swap the genders of the two main characters and see what that <laughs> does to your uh to your story? But I mean, I think really, um, just making sure that nobody uh nobody's window dressing um and, and be really aware of uh gender issues because they are a thing that is a big deal especially in science fiction right now oh yeah um Hot you know topic. as and as it should be you know it took a long time for it to get to be uh to be the as widespread an idea right now as it is right now that you really do need to be aware of gender issues um but that's that's very important.
0: Yeah. Well, and and moving forward with the workshop, I, I, I think we can offer some suggestions on, sure. on how to give Kaylee some some strength, some agency, and some some mojo in the story itself. Um, yeah. Let me let me move on to Jennifer. Jennifer, what what are your first impressions, and and what questions do you have?
1: Um, one of the, one of the things that really stuck out for me was that there seemed to be a lot of backstory going into it that felt like it was going to slow the story overall down. Um, Like, you come into it with all this stuff, uh, you know, like Martin and Kaylee's history, and, you know, the stuff that happened to them before they got to this point, and it just feels like it's, it's, it's a lot of information that I'm wondering how much of it can be condensed or even done away with. Because it almost sounds like what happened before the story that you're going to tell right now was a whole book that came before it.
0: <laughs> That's a good point. Okay.
1: So, I mean, that that was like my first overall impression. Um, one of the other things that, that kind of stuck out for me was that it feels like the enemy itself of the story isn't very clear. I mean, like you had the Dark Elves, like James pointed out, You know, they seem to be like the overall antagonist for the story. But at the same time... Um, there seemed to be a lot of like little tiny enemies that felt really insignificant, you know, like the stuff with her her betrothed, you know, all leading up to all this other stuff, when they come across this like massive enemy that has this ancient indestructible power that can't be countered and they need to find a way to to get past it, all these other little enemies felt really insignificant. so I, I'm wondering, you know how much of that you actually need.
2: Well, actually, if I
1: could back up what, uh, she
2: was just saying, I think that that's absolutely right. And I also think that the dark elves, they're, they are sort of presented as the enemy in the story, but they're not really an the enemy for the protagonists. Like what have they done to our three main characters to make the three main characters really hate them? That's um, right. you know, it's not, it's not personal or it doesn't feel personal yet. Um, and I think that ultimately, like the story needs to be about the characters, mm-hmm. not about and their grudges, the things that make them passionate, not about sort of like the greater political positions of these empires, right? Scott,
0: what do you think? How is this? How's this hitting you so far?
4: Um.
2: Yeah. No. Um.
4: I, I like that. Yeah. Because uh, it's it, it's almost like the the dark elf part of it should really almost be like a background piece
0: to to the characters. Well, and you want your antagonist to be, you know, the stone against which your antagonists are tested. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, so, so whatever qualities your heroes lack, your antagonist is going to test those qualities until either the protagonist breaks and it becomes a tragedy or until they overcome and then it becomes epic fantasy.
2: You've got to ask, like, who does your who do your characters hate and who do your characters love? It's funny. Like you, the only people, you know, Kylie has the most contact with the elves and she's kind of an outcast at the moment. Like not, um, she hasn't been thrown out, but she's railing against her society. I mean, it seems more likely to me that she would be, if there was another elven faction that was maybe not as attached to tradition or whatever, she might very well be pro dark elves if they're a little bit looser. Um, so I'm, I mean, a that says that maybe something needs to change with the dark elves, but b maybe that means that Kylie isn't against the dark elves. Maybe she's all about it. There we go. Let's Time su- for let's a
0: change, su- man. Subvert some tropes. Yes, I was. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing, Jennifer. What else you got, ma'am? Anything for this first uh, round?
1: Do you make it seem like uh, when they when they come across the dark elves are they they something that's been completely forgotten by a lot of people? Or are they this huge surprise when they come upon them and they're all like, "Wow, what what are these people?
4: Yeah, it's supposed to be, um, like, in, in, elven ter- in Elven years, they're, like, almost forgotten as well. So it's, it's several thousand years. So they're a
0: mythology. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, they are a mythology. Ooh, yeah, we can play with that. We can totally play with that.
1: Okay. So so one of my concerns is when you, when you got to that part about the, about the Dark Elves, you're like, you have this big info dump. Mm-hmm. And I need to know why you need an info dump when you could be building this power up yeah. Throughout the whole story, yeah, like absolutely. You don't need an info dump. Definitely, never need an info dump.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if we can avoid an info dump, let's. And I and I think that's imminently doable. Anything else, Jennifer? Nope. Okay. Um. For for myself, first of all, Scott, I love this world. I love I love the 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 concept of of Earth leaving its galaxy and finding you know not not this this high tech world but this world of blended magic and science. Uh, I think that's very cool. And I'm just I'm just gonna put this on the table and then we can forget about it. But one story I would love to hear, and I'd love to hear you tell is that first earth venture where they discovered this world mm. and the impact that had on earth and the impact it had on the, the, the wider universe around it. I think that would be a fascinating story to tell. Um, but we'll just sweep that aside. Cause that's not the story of workshopping. <laughs> um, uh, 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 quick question, uh, regarding, um, do you, uh, uh, do you understand? Do you have a backstory for Garin, Kylie, and Marty as to why they're friends? Do you have a background for that in your mind, or is that just a feeling? Yeah, no, I have it in my mind. Yeah, you do have it in your mind. Okay. Um, uh, good. Awesome. Uh, that will, that will need to be seated in there. They'll, they'll need to be those, those vague references to that time where you, you, you puked all over the, the, the Galtharian diplomat and we had to run out the (laughs) back. All of those wonderful things that we don't need to know any more details about, but, but those can be peppered into, to establish that background and that foundation. Um, uh, but also, uh, actions will need to be, will need to be demonstrated. And, and you've touched on those, uh, through their interactions through the story you know marty and and garen in particular um how do marty and kaylee interact with each other once they're once kaylee busts them out what's their relationship at this point
4: they um they start out kind of (laughs) yeah because it it's like they they were lovers at the uh before but they're not now and it really wasn't uh Throwing in the romantic angle on it just didn't work with it. It just didn't. It seems like they're now friends on there, but it's, it's does not start that way. They, they do not want to be, or Martin doesn't really want to be around Kaylee on there because, you know, partly he's pushing the blame away from him. on to her on why he was exiled so he he
0: needs to take ownership of that dude give yourself some emotional spark there have them hate each other (laughs) literally (laughs) i mean oh my god look what you did to me i just spent the last 10 years chained up in 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 the in the palace while my mother lectured me and blah 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 blah. oh my god i hate your guts give them give them give them Writhing, seething hatred. So later on, when they do reconcile and find that they really are perfect for each other, you've got more of an arc. You want big, sweeping arc in there. So Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. now here's something. You know, James, you started, you touched on it, and it it struck me as I was listening to it. You know, you've got the 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 Elvish nation, whatever they we end up calling them, and you got the dwarves, and both of these characters are so. Dais bound. The dwarves, too. I mean, really, they're all about tradition. But assuming we're going with the trope, the elves, oh my god, we're well, the elves, we're awesome. We've, we've been around forever, we do it the same way all the time. It sounds, you know, I want to I want to riff on what James was saying and say, this is a story about transformation. And, and if you can have the Dark Elves be the salvation of the Torian Confederacy, and and you know, have this be about shattering the stasis of eons of tradition. Oh my God. First of all, that's incredibly topical because we are living in an age of startling change and transformation and revolution Uh, uh, and exploring that and, and literally shattering that paradigm of the elves and the dwarves, I think would would be very cool. And it would turn the the villain on its ear and actually make them a, a force, maybe not of good, but of change and change is good.
2: Maybe right. the villain is the status quo.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, and and we can you know we can have that be, you know, Marty, you know, Marty can be a champion of that. Part of the reason why he's so awesome is because he thinks outside the box. And no one else can. Everybody's, you know, it it was like it was like the American Revolution with the Redcoats walking up in line and shooting their guns. And the Americans pounded the crap out of them because they're coming at them from all angles and they're rolling on the ground and they're dirty. But they're kicking butt because they're 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 gorillas. Uh, uh, So does that does that at all sound like something that you could get behind, Scott?
4: Yeah, it does a lot on there. That that, that changes a
0: whole bunch of this story. Awesome. But yes, it it does. It does transform it. But you know, the story arc that you have laid out, all it does really is look at it from a different perspective. And now suddenly, uh, uh, these events that were bad, uh, uh, now there's now there's a much, I think, a much stronger thematic run. Uh, going through it. Um, James, I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Let's talk about Kaylee a little bit, because I, I like what you were saying about the fact that she doesn't have a lot of agency, specifically at the end, where she lets Marty fight her, her big battle at the end. Uh,
2: uh, and it, yeah. that's, that's
0: not going to make yeah. her be I, a grown-up.
2: I, I feel like both symbolically and perhaps probably literally as well, like, Kylie needs to fight her own battles. Like, or, you know, perhaps being... Uh, being a grown-up means knowing when not to fight battles. You know, it could also be that sort of thing where, uh, you know, she's been this firebrand and then maybe she even comes to understand partway through... Maybe maybe you even have opposing arcs where, like, you know, some people are static and they need to come to embrace change, but then she is, like, this firebrand character who also perhaps maybe comes to understand the value of responsibility and stasis and that's sort of what makes her a grown-up and so maybe she you know rises above or does something takes responsibility for something in a badass take charge way um that both she can be proud of and in their own way like you know her parents can respect or whatever like maybe she is the one who ultimately solves the problem um basically i just want to make sure that kylie is not Window dressing and is not a damsel in distress because we just don't need any more of that. Um, you know, the, if the she, cart is full. If
0: she's a rebel and 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 a firebrand, maybe she gets compared to the dark elves.
2: Sure, maybe yeah. you know in that
0: culture, anybody. If she seeks them out. Yeah, that anybody. Oh my god, that's what the story is. She's looking for the freaking dark elves.
2: She yeah, I was wants just gonna to say that. Them. Yes she brings them back to try and stir things up and maybe they need to stir things up because maybe the coalition is very settled and peaceful, but there are also people suffering underneath it. Um, you know, and she sees it, but the people at the top don't, and you need to stir things up to, to bring awareness, you know, that sort of thing. Um, one other thing I want to throw out really quick about, uh, uh, not necessarily about Kylie's agency in, in particular, but the, uh, the single combat thing, um, well, I'm, you know, I would never say, you you know, you can't do it or don't do it. Um, Single combat, when you're talking about nations, always strikes me as really, really unrealistic. I mean, it's the stuff of fairy tales, but like, no invading empire is actually going to turn around and go home because they sent out Goliath and you sent out David and you... And then, oh, you killed them. Well, I guess we're honor-bound to turn around and go home. We spent well, all these give... millions
0: of dollars and rolled all these people out here. Ah, fuck yeah, it. Yeah, sorry about here.
2: those planets we blew up. Like, <laughs> I guess we our bad guy. Um, so I just, I think that if you can make the story work without uh, single combat, I think it's just going to come across as more realistic. Um, and and lastly, only one other thing I wanted to say is, I think with all of this, um, a big theme in... Uh, the thing I always try to ask myself is sort of like, um, what is what is everybody's perspective? And how is everyone the hero and everyone the villain? Because when you've got... Um, the real world is full of moral ambiguity. And so I feel like fiction should be full of moral ambiguity because that's what I love. Some people really like good versus evil. But I feel like you owe it to yourself to ask for every character, whether the hero or the villain, why why they are doing what they're doing and everybody is the hero of their own story. I mean, even it doesn't matter how bad you are. Everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing. Um, so just make sure that, you know, whether it's the dark elves or the the regular elves or the dwarves or whoever, make sure there's not um, what I often call mustache twirlers. Like if you remember Snidely whiplash from the old right. cartoons, like right. people who are being evil, for the sake of being evil um it it just really doesn't happen even the most horrible people and usually the most compelling villains are the ones that have a rationale for their story and the more convincing their rationale is the the cooler a villain they are and the more hardcore i mean there's a reason why you know charismatic horrible people you know the charles mansons of the world and you know that the hitlers and these people like sweep up other folks in their wake is because they are very charismatic and they have a way of spinning things so that they're the heroes so just make sure that all of your villains have uh internal mindset for why they're the hero and make sure that all your heroes um that we know why they're actually really the villain from the villain's perspective
1: yeah
0: yeah, nobody thinks they're evil. Everybody thinks they're good, even the bad guys. So, by all means, now there there is one question that I had. There's there's one empire that's that's not represented here, uh, and that is Earth. Where where where's the Earth Empire in in all of this this conflict? Um, in book two, <laughs> <laughs> Roger that. Well, and I'm thinking you know, Earthlings have always been. Uh, uh, traditional and again we're kind of going with a trope here but we're, we're, we're kind of rebels and upstarts and innovators too it, it could be that we're shunned uh, uh so we, we can,
1: they could still be technologically behind to a certain extent or too. magically
0: behind and all they have yeah. is the tech and that that makes them yeah. second-class citizens they're still ramping up their their magic components yeah that's a good point Alright, yeah, we can we can we can push that aside. Jennifer, what else have you got, man? What what can we do to 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 tie off some of these loose ends and drive a, a a clearer through line through this?
1: Um I'm I was thinking about uh some of the stuff that you said about Martin. Um it seemed to me like Martin had a lot of stuff going on. Like you had him that he was psychic and like some of it mm-hmm. felt a little unclear. Yeah, the for, psychic
0: part really didn't figure into the story in any way. I mean,
1: unless unless you were gonna take that as um, like maybe his psychic like he was one of the the first the first innovative people to you know touch base with people outside of of our solar system because of his ability. i mean it it just there were just mm-hmm. some little things like that like uh like why is is his psychic ability important as a character trait or his student? Yeah,
0: what were you thinking with that, Scott?
4: Uh, with that one basically um, the the idea with the human magic uh, to, to bring that element into it because there there are smaller scenes between Kylie and Martin where Kylie is trying to to bring her magic under control and Martin uses his magic which is actually the psychic ability to... Cross swords her with her hand.
0: essentially. Yeah. Um, See, that, kinda, that that keeps pulling her agency away, though. Yeah. You know, it, it almost, almost maybe instead, if he if he fights against her and in doing so gives her the 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 opportunity to strengthen herself and grow um, and grow uh, uh, through his through his adversity rather than requiring his help.
1: I mm-hmm. mean, like for his backstory, I wondered almost if he if he wasn't maybe some kind of the ambassador. Because of his psychic ability, sure,
0: yeah, that kind of makes I sense. I mean, that
1: that would put him in the middle of that political intrigue that you have going on with mm-hmm. the, the plans and the plots and the, you know, treason.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, maybe maybe like the first humans that came in contact with this magic were were it magic kind of like grounded in them in a really weird way, and and you know we're we're using psychic, but maybe it's it's an awareness. Uh, uh, and and it's it's an awareness that ultimately you know over generations will evolve into a magic. But right now, this is all humans got is is this is this sense uh, that that you know they interpret as psychic, but but is is some sort of I don't know uh, uh, sensing of the threads of existence, the the song of the world. Because that way, uh, uh, and we can tie this back into the dark elves. Uh, uh, you know, maybe he could sense that thread through the worlds in some way and be drawn to it uh uh, in the same way Kaylee is and that's how their paths go parallel they go about it in different ways I don't know I don't know yeah
4: I I think you're you're on the right track with that one uh because honestly it was like he was in their past um the idea was the the I guess the prequel to this book is uh (laughs) um them um, essentially, kind of like a troubleshooter group for for the the confederation, and so they pulled the best and the brightest of the of the different nations together. That's how they met. That's how they worked together. And then, yeah, uh, honestly, a lot of the the thought with his psychic abilities is, yeah, he's got like the minor stuff. So it's it's kind of like a cross between like a Jedi and Psychor from uh, Babylon Five okay. uh, somewhere. So it's like little minor stuff for the most part. But his yeah. his major thing is understanding at an intuitive level the mechanics of how magic operates. Okay. And that that's kinda of okay.
1: badass.
0: That's kinda of
4: badass. Now, see
1: the thing that's kinda of funny is that you said like you know in your mindset that they were like the best of the brightest and stuff, but they sound like I don't know, like a bunch of rebels. <laughs> well, and that's you what know, like thinking. they weren't the best and the brightest. That they were like the the fuck ups.
0: <laughs> you know, maybe and maybe Marty Marty got cut off. Maybe somehow Marty like stepped through a wormhole or something and got jettisoned in the middle of this whole thing, and he's the only human around and and, yeah. and that's why Garen wants to hold him so close cuz he knows the humans are coming they're going to be a part of the universe eventually uh, uh so he we got to dress this guy up and spruce him up yeah. so he, he makes a good presentation <laughs>
2: yeah i also think um so you mentioned early on that he's a tactical genius um i i would ask uh why is that important and if it's not important i would just point out that i think that in general um the the stories of kind of every man and every woman characters are a little more interesting at least to me than somebody who's good at everything. So the more you can have him have, you know, one special thing, like maybe this this psychic ability, you know, is what makes him special. It's why he was the ambassador or whatever because he mm-hmm. was the closest thing they had. Um but if you don't need him to also be badass at all these other things, um having him have, you know, one thing he's really good at, as opposed to several things he's really good at, um, keeps it from running into sort of the, the Mary Sue character territory. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. And, and frankly, there's a reason we all love, you know, the, the Han Solos of the world and it's cause Han Solo keeps screwing up, right? Like I think that people who mess up are inherently more interesting to read about <laughs> than people. Human. Yeah, exactly. Than people who are great at everything, um, so consider making them maybe smaller scale.
1: Yeah. Which goes yeah. back to what you were talking about with Kaylee, because um, like, you have her almost like a spoiled, insolent child. And it, it it's going to make her very difficult to relate to as a person, because here she's this pampered princess who doesn't want to grow up, but wants to be a grown up. And, I mean, there are people that that would probably appeal to, but the general everyday reader... Especially for this type of fiction, is going to find that type of character very difficult to to latch onto, and because she's your heroine, you really want someone that you can root for. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and protagonists, you know, you're right, James. You you don't want to marry Sue. You don't want somebody who's awesome at everything. But but every every you know core character, POB character, whatever, uh, uh, should be good at something. There there is something that they're good at, right? So what is what is Kaylee good at, Scott? You know, we, we've got we've got Marty's. You know, got the tactics and and the psychic. Uh, uh, Garen is is a diplomat, silver tongued, and easy to get along with. What's what's Kaylee good at? Um, and 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 I don't know yeah, is a perfectly valid sure. answer because you know you're yeah. going to have three of them. <laughs> in yeah, about two minutes, I'm yeah. thinking. Pilot. <laughs> if, if she ran away from home, uh, uh, maybe she spent a lot of her younger life uh, down at the docks, down at the space docks and, and uh, you know, hanging out, getting dirty with the engineers uh, and hearing stories of, of the outer world and, the, and these wild dwarves and all the, oh, the orcs. The orcs throw the best parties. Uh, so, you know, when she ran away and had her fling, maybe she she jacked the ship. Maybe she's a kick-ass pilot. Maybe she's a kick-ass engineer, uh, uh, and and you know, give her give her that, which is also you know, with 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 Marty's ability to to understand magic, her ability to understand mechanics. There's there's a nice
1: simpatico there.
4: Mm, yeah, nice reverse dynamic since yeah, the, the humans are more technological. I right. Think, right. It, yeah. 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 And yeah. it
1: it'll help build off of that that whole relationship dynamic that you need between those two characters. Yeah. Yeah, and they have to
2: be. Yeah, you know, uh, the two main characters they have to be equals, um, and, and in order to have the the eventual romance work. In order to just make it really satisfying. Um, and I say this as somebody like I will freely admit, uh, I made uh, the same mistake in my first novel. Um, you know, I have the the two protagonists, male and female, and my my male hero was all sort of a badass know it all, and my female character was the young, you know, spoiled princess character, essentially. Um, and I, you know, and I I realized even towards the end of when I was writing the book, I was like, oh, crap, this is <laughs> not a good thing. And so I, you know, tried to change it to be sort of that, you know, it, since it was all through his viewpoint, that that was sort of how he saw her and he came to understand that that was actually his prejudice and that actually she was pretty badass the whole time. And, you know, I did what I what I could to make it better, but I still, um, you know, feel personally, and i am certainly taken some flack for that idea of the spoiled princess character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, you know, <laughs> learn from my mistakes, <laughs> you, <laughs> are, <how do> <laughs> you know, make, yeah. make your female character strong and not just strong in the sense that she fights well or whatever, like make her just as vibrant and interesting as your male character. Mm-hmm. Um, and let us see it. I don't know what you're planning point of view wise, but consider doing, uh, doing a flipping point of view where it's, you know, his perspective in half the chapters and her perspective in the other half of the chapters, that can be a really interesting way to show them both in sort of a positive and negative light, um, Mm -hmm. and really get into both their heads, you know, uh, that sort of thing. I mean, I'm, I'm planning to do the same thing in my third book to try, and, <laughs> you know, right some wrongs.
1: But uh, I just wanted to throw that out there.
2: No, that's. I mean, good. does she mm-hmm.
1: even really have to be a princess?
4: Um, the, the idea, yeah, that the she's supposed to uh have the political power to um to turn the confederation around on there. Uh,
0: eventually in, in but she doesn't in, have
1: to start out as a princess i mean I she could come say. into that power and that could be part oh, of the story true.
0: you know and if she comes in with a horde of dark elves at her back she's got power <laughs> baby <laughs> right. she's not
1: just the princess anymore now she's the queen
0: yeah 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 and and yeah she doesn't have to you know, there's nothing yeah. in the story uh, uh other than you know I, I can see the need for for societal constraints uh, uh, but that doesn't have to be royalty.
2: And I don't, I don't particularly have a problem with, uh, with princess. If you decide to go that route, if she's the princess die of elven society, I think that's just fine. But there are, there are, like you were going to say, other types of, um, of hierarchies, and so you could do really interesting things with like elven religion. Maybe she sets herself up as sort of the anti pope, you know, like or whatever. <laughs> Maybe there's, uh, these things have happened, you know, many Maybe times. Maybe she's supposed to be the society. high
1: priestess or.
2: Yeah. yeah. And she just mm-hmm. isn't feeling it. You well, know? it occurs um, to me
0: that there's there's probably a cult of the dark elves in Elvis society. Maybe maybe there's this whole underground that that agrees and just has been trounced down so violently. By the established hierarchy, that you know, they they they're they're dark, they're dark cultists. They worship the devil. They worship the darkness. uh oh, and the darkness is death, and the darkness is the void. And no fear the darkness. And and you know, maybe she's no, she's not the chosen one. Sorry. <laughs> that, that, that almost came out. I almost said it. I pulled it right back. But maybe she, you know, not the chosen one, but maybe she's the one to realize. You know, she she comes in contact with these dark these dark cultists somehow, and and they they re- she resonates with them because they 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 kind of resonate to her. She, they they want change. They don't want to kill anybody. They want they want to oh, unlock the the potential of the 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 culture that they're in. And that's noble. Uh, yeah,
2: maybe they're not they're not demons. they're demonized, you know, because if they're if they're just a minority, if they're an underclass, you know, perhaps they are painted as this cult um and all doing all these evil things. But perhaps it's totally propaganda by whichever elvish power is currently. Um, ascendant. Well, and that's you know? kind
0: of a badass theme, actually. You know, the demonization of that which is not popular by the status quo because mm-hmm. Marty kind of suffers from that. Uh, uh, if, if these cultists, are, the Dark Elves are certainly suffering from that. If we go with the the notion that they're not evil, they just represent the force of change that's a natural cycle of existence, then, then that's actually kind of a cool concept because then all of these characters have to confront the... The, the the demonizing impulse of an established hierarchy and a preconceived notion that's kind of badass. Yeah. So I'm 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 looking at the time and holy crap we're 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 running out really really quick here. Um. Uh. I can give you one. Scott, is there any other one thing that you want us to touch on uh, uh, and riff on real quick before we go into our final notes? Um.
4: Not particularly. No, You're I think. Uh, your mind, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I think. I think I'm like uh, taking a couple of of uh, notes and starting over with a lot of it with
0: the same uh, character. In that sense. There you go. So, there you totally go. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, I, I can guarantee you there's going to be at least a few more nuggets of literary gold coming your way, because uh, we're going to go once more around the table just real quick. Uh, uh, James, Jennifer, and myself will give you our, our final suggestions, final thoughts. Some everybody shove some literary gold into Scott's pockets so he can walk out of here and and write this story. James, we'll start with you. Far- no, 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 no.
2: Start with uh, start with you, Dave. Oh
0: God. Okay. All right. Well, dude, you're totally violating the the paradigm of the of the round table. You must be hey, a dark elf.
2: If I'm a guest host, I'm going to act like a host. I'm calling on you. <laughs> I'm going to wield like, the
0: power. I'm taking the last yeah. seat. All right, fine. i my gavel. I'll lead off. I'll lead off. Very good. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to reiterate... I, there's nothing in here, Scott, that requires that these guys be elves and dwarves and dark elves and orcs. Uh, you can call them something different and I would I would even encourage you to look look behind you know there's some kind of resonance that you have with these with these beings with these tropes and, and that's why they're tropes because we resonate to them because we have so much experience with them. I challenge you to dig under the trope. Dig under and find out the specific points that you resonate with and do what James did and described in, in the 20 minutes with write down a series of nouns and adjectives and then reimagine these races that embody those tropic qualities, but give them a unique Scotch Scotch no Scott Couchman (laughs) uh, 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 spin and perspective because I think that's where the real mojo is going to happen for you because I almost feel like you're 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 renting space in this story it feels like you're you're you have so many tropes and and paradigms that you're trying to work with that instead of liberating you it's boxing you in. And and by stripping away all of those names and those visions, coring it down to your specific spin points, I think you'll find a lot of very cool stuff. Um, some specific thing that struck me: uh, uh, the whole bit with the wood elves and the wood elf planet and so on. It struck me that it would be kind of badass if if all of this was about opening a gate. To the dark elf land and re-ushering in the age of of change, and that's what the cultists on the elvish planet are doing. Maybe the dwarves have the same freaking problem, only it manifests in a different way. Uh, maybe there's a civil war going on in dwarf space. Uh, there's a lot of upheaval if people are trying to overthrow the status quo. And the and it's and everybody's they're all trying to open crack the world basically, and everybody's terrified of cracking the world, but all they want to do is open the gate. If you have have that, that epic battle on the wood elf planet be the seizing of an artifact that needs to be brought to this other planet that then <laughs> opens <laughs> this gate or whatever. Uh, uh, that could be kind of badass. Or the way that you lure them to that space of no magic that you were talking about um, uh, is is the fact that that's where the gate is. That's where the world opens up and that's where the dark elves are gonna come up. And that's where Kylie and Marty and Garen have to make the real choice. Do we stand with the status quo or do we stand for change and go and help these guys usher in this new age and bring in the dark elves and, oh, fuck, what a choice. What a choice. Mm-hmm. So and, and and make Marty and Kylie hate each other. I just think that's awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what I've got. Jennifer, what do you got, ma'am?
1: Um, I think that it's just really important to take some time to focus on on getting to know who these people are before you even sit down to start writing. Um they need to feel like people, and because that's what draws people in to the stories is being able to relate to the characters uh to see little bits and pieces of themselves in these imaginary people mm-hmm. and um, I think that that's like one of the most important things that you can do is like Dave said, sit down and do the list i mean sit down and and write out character traits and 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 write little tiny backstories, little vignettes about things that happened in the past so that you get to know who these people are there's
0: a great character background worksheet on the roundtable website if you do a search for for character worksheet uh uh, you can download it use it for free there's no charge didn't didn't mean to subvert you there Uh, jennifer
2: did you have any more jennifer nope i'm good go ahead all right james over to you sir i would say above all kind of like what she was just saying um make it personal and make the make the conflict personal to your heroes. Um, you, for each one of them, make sure that you know why this conflict, um, this conflict between nations is like the most important thing in their lives. What is the, what is the thing that made it, uh, that makes them do all this? Why are they going on this adventure? Why are they doing it? Why are they fighting? Why does the climax matter more to them than to anybody else? And so I think you're going to need to Really, have that in there from the start, like the these events that are taking place at the macro scale, they need to have affected the individuals personally, not just at an ideological level of well, these guys represent this, and these guys represent that, and they're i'm going to support that side, like it needs to be personal somebody's you know somebody needs to have lost family in a war, somebody needs to have uh you know, had to move because of whatever somebody needs to be stuck in an underclass, uh, and not be able to do what they want to do. There's gotta be personal struggle. Um, and at the same time, uh, make sure that if there's any good versus evil in the book, um, strip it. I mean, that's, that's my, that's my personal take. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't have characters that are good. Um, and you know characters that are legitimately bad, but make sure that there's not an obvious two pat right side, and that and that not just that, but that at some point everybody gets to see that. Maybe not even just the the reader, but the individual characters. Um, I'm really fond of saying that if your good guy never questions his motivations, he's probably not a good guy. Um, you know, absolute certainty is m- makes it very easy for you to be missing something or abusing your uh, whatever power you have. So just um, be very careful about that particular trope. And I think you'll end up with a much more interesting story uh, because especially at the level of international politics, nobody's clean and everybody's (laughs) just people.
0: Roger that. Roger that. Awesome. Very cool. Oh man, this, this has been Scott, first and foremost, dude, thank you. So much for. I mean, clearly there, there's some mojo here to work on and, and and to explore and dig into. We we could keep going with this. So I am so very grateful. Thank you for bringing your story for this discussion, man. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, now here's the deal, man. You write this story, whatever, however it comes together, and I, and I know it's this. Holy crap, there's so much. And, and and as as James has always said, just just do it. Just get into it. Just go and dive in. You start writing and and of course you outline first, but, but (laughs) after that, uh, uh, go in and explore that when you publish this thing. And and I don't care if it's a PDF on your website or, or a book, uh, uh, from, from Harper Collins or whoever's still out there by the time that happens, uh, uh, you let us know when it's out in the world, seeding the world with your awesomeness and mojo, we will bring you back and we will knight you, sir. We will make you a knight of the round table. Are you down with that? Oh, absolutely. Awesome. And and we'll make sure there's like there's like, you know, science and magic. We'll work it in there. There'll be circuits and lightsabers and and, and chanting monks. It'll be fabulous. So awesome. I just
2: want I just want to say also thank you, Scott, because this it takes a lot of guts sure. to come bring your bring your baby in front of all these people who tell you in advance, we're gonna take pot shots at your baby. <laughs> um like it's really terrifying you know when i first when dave invited me on to be a guest host i thought he was inviting me on to be the guest writer and i was kind (laughs) of like "Uh." so so, uh kudos man like i really uh hats off to you absolutely
0: absolutely i couldn't agree more and and James Sutter, dude, you're, this is the reason why we bring on uh, seasoned professionals onto this show. Your insights were were spot on and, and really uncovered a lot of valuable, useful content in here. We are so very grateful you took the time. Thank you, sir.
2: Thanks for having me. Oh, uh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And Jennifer Melzer, trusty co-pilot, good friend. Uh, this has been a blast as always. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. It's always great to be here. Oh,
0: and it'll happen again, I promise. I absolutely promise. Uh, and as long as as <laughs> as long as we're Dulling out <laughs> gratitude Thank you listeners for Tuning in you close the Circuit for us light us up Like light bulbs on a Christmas tree because Because that's what time It is kids uh, so uh, uh, thank you For tuning in if you're Feeling the love if you've Got some literary gold and You want to pay it forward A review on iTunes is Always a welcome thing and And huge huge thank yous To everyone who's been so Generous with your feedback Their praise and their Criticism all of that is Welcome and we're we, we, we are deeply grateful. Uh, we do have a, a message board now on the Roundtable. Uh, if you go to www.roundtablepodcast.com, click on the forum link in the menu, you'll be taken there. And this episode will be there. All of our past episodes are there. You can add your thoughts uh, uh, and keep the discussion going on the digital format, which will be badass. So, whew. I'm, I'm, I don't know about y'all. I'm lighting a cigarette. This, this was, uh, this, this was, a, this was an epic, epic workshop. And, and the awesome thing is, is that as exhausted and spent as we all are, uh, next week we fire this bad boy up all over again more awesome guest hosts bringing their creative mojo and their writerly wisdom to to pour into our ears more courageous guest writers bringing awesome stories for brainstorming more roundtable goodness for everyone. So we hope you'll <laughs> tune back in in seven days for our next round uh, but wow seven days long time. Jennifer, what do you think? for seven days what should our listeners be doing?
1: I think they need to sit down in their chairs and write.
0: Go write. I couldn't agree more. The legacy of, of Brian Humphrey lives on. Uh, I, I, I so agree. Good advice indeed. And I will tell you, dear friends, as always, you find what you're looking for. So look for top shelf blue label goodness. Look for that brightly wrapped package in the back of the tree. And if you look for it, I promise you, you will find it. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys, stay cool, be frothy, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by The Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown: Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us. Visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at table at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.